What's up, everybody? Welcome in to another episode of your favorite youth ministry podcast, How Not to Be a Youth Pastor. Are we the favorite because we're the only, do you think? Oh, there's plenty of youth ministry podcasts out there. But, I mean, humbly, we are the best one. Humbly, of course. Yes. Uh, Moses is... uh, Probably one of the probably the biggest mentor for us as far as humility goes. Would you say that that's accurate, <laughs> Moses? Yeah, because he had. Do you know why? Do you get where I'm going I'm, with this? I'm, I'm trying to. I'm, he, I'm well acquainted with the story of Moses. Moses Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, right? Yes. Uh, let me look up the the verse reference here. Numbers chapter twelve, verse three. Yep. All right. Again. Written by Moses. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more (laughs) humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. (laughs) Okay, I got you now. Wow, okay, yeah, well, you know, fail on me for not not catching that. Come on, this is level one. Apparently. Youth pastoring here, right up with... uh, and a bear came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youth. I do know that one. Uh, <laughs> I do know that one. I need that on the wall of my office. Absolutely. Or something to, Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I think we can draw from Moses as our, as our mentor. He's, a, he's an admirable. He also did kill somebody. Uh, well, you know, there's, there's that. But injuries are part of the process, right? <laughs> yes, they are, which is exactly what we wanted to open up our episode with today. Kyle, quick question of the day. Share a story of a time a youth student was injured while under your care. Yeah, so I've got a few that I can choose from, unfortunately. Um, I uh, Actually, before I was uh, the youth pastor, I was a youth leader here, and uh, there was a kid that broke his arm on, I think it was on a Wednesday night or something, but uh, no, I think that the one that I'll go with was actually on a mission trip to Puerto Rico uh, shortly after the hurricanes, uh, you know, really bad hurricanes swept through. I think this was in 2018. Uh, We were down there uh, just uh, partnering with this awesome ministry and, and doing some things. And uh, it was at maybe 11 o'clock at night. Um, one of my youth students comes up to me and is like, hey, have you seen this girl's forehead? And I was like, uh, yes, <laughs> on a regular basis. She's one of the kids on our team. I've seen her forehead before. Why do you ask? Uh, you know, like, oh, it's it's really swollen. And I, I think she got bit by something. And I'm like, okay, well, has she tried putting ice on it? Like, yep. you know, kids get, you know, we're, we're in Puerto Rico. There's critters crawling around. Yep. And so, uh, she comes, she comes out and, and me and another youth leader that was, that was on the team with us, we took a look at, at this swollen forehead and the student described it as being the size of Montana, which I thought was fun. Um, but it was, it was pretty stinking swollen. And so, uh, we ended up grabbing one of the people that worked at the camp we were partnering with, uh, who spoke much better Spanish than all of us and, uh, went to, uh, the emergency room and, uh, got her some, uh, antibiotics and fluids and I don't know, medical stuff. And she ended up being fine, but it was a 2 a.m. visit to a Puerto Rican emergency room. And, uh, me and so is me student, female youth leader and translator guy. Yep. And, uh, so while she was getting her fluids pumped, uh, my female youth leader stayed with her, me and translator guy walked across the street and got some Taco Bell. Are you kidding me? (laughs) No, you're in Puerto Rico and you went to Taco Bell for, for the record. Uh, we did, maybe it was McDonald's. It was one of the two. Okay. Because I feel like there were fries involved. I was saying, I feel like that's sacrilegious to be... Wendy's, maybe? I don't know. It was some sort of fast food joint. Yeah. Uh, we were hungry. It was three in the morning, whatever it was. Uh, but my point being... Um, you don't do any work. No, but I, for the oh. record, we did uh, We did bring some... Like we ordered extra food and brought it <laughs> oh, back good. to the other two. Because uh, obviously they could. we couldn't all leave the hospital and leave her by herself. Uh, so we did bring food back. But yeah, that was uh, fun times uh, with uh, with student getting injured. I'm scared and, uh, to say this because yeah. I know as I about as I'm gonna say this, I know I am just unleashing a scenario that's about to come my way. Well, this but should be good. I have no memory 
of like a major injury happening in my youth ministry. There's a a wooden shelf behind my desk that I'm knocking on Fun on your fact, behalf. Have you ever looked at the origins of the thing knock on wood? No, but I feel like you have and you're about to tell me. I am. And I've stopped knocking on wood because it's a little messed up. Like it's, 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 it's basically like what happens is if something, oh, I, I should look it up because I don't want to, you, you should research this while I'm doing it to fact check me. But from my recollection, where it originated was when something that you didn't want to happen was uttered and you would knock on wood, you would knock on a tree or something of that nature and it would summon some sort of spirit out of that tree to make sure the event you're talking about did not happen. Like something just wonky like that. But fact check me on that. Cause I can't remember exactly when and where I read that, but um, we're looking at a pretty extensive Wikipedia page here right now <laughs> where all of our um, facts come from here at how not to be a youth pastor. Uh, there's not really, according to Wikipedia anyway, uh, there is not a single origin okay. story. Uh, some people throw the, the origin over to, uh, something to do with wooden crucifixes. Interesting. Uh, a more modern theory from folklore researcher and good friend of the show, Steve Rude. Suggests that uh, it derives from a form of the game of tag called Tiggy Touchwood. What? Uh, <laughs> that's you know what that sounds like is. Uh, did you ever when you were a kid, uh, you'd see like the Facebook graphic where it's like you know the the first letter of your first name and you know you find this adjective and then yep. the first letter of your last name yep. and like that's your gangster name. Yep. Like that's what Tiggy Touchwood sounds like is like some somebody yeah. like did put their first and last name yep. into this and you know that's that's what they got as their gangster name uh it's basically a a form of tag where players are safe from being tagged if they are touching wood interesting uh probably better played outdoors amongst trees yep, probably um but uh yeah so there's that there's uh, you know, in the United States, uh, in the 18th century, men used to knock on the wood stock of their muzzle loading rifles to settle the black powder charge, uh, ensuring that the weapon would fire cleanly. Where the crap did I read that then? Probably Wikipedia. Well, you didn't read yours on Wikipedia. No, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm trying to remember. In any case. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's like literally 50 different entries in here from different countries around the world. So it's got to be buried in there somewhere. Yeah, I'm not gonna sit here and. I mean, in medieval England, knights begin knights being sent into battle would visit the wooden effigy of a knight, uh, this one specific one, and touch its nose for good luck. Do you know what would be on par for this podcast is for you and I to spend the next twenty minutes looking at this pointless. <laughs> oh yeah, pointless for origin. sure. <laughs> so all I was trying to say is that up to this point, I have not had anything major. And I understand that I might have just cursed myself. But I'm grateful for that because, you know, while, while 2 a.m. Wendy's sounds enjoyable with a Spanish-speaking translator, if I don't have to go to the hospital... His name is Jonathan. That, He's a good guy. We, we should invite him We're on We're still sometime. Facebook friends. Really? Oh, yeah. We should invite him onto the show. There you go. He, uh, he's a big basketball guy, so we could talk about some basketball. What's that? Basketball? Yeah. It's, uh, I it's only this watch hockey. Sport. What is it? A show? There's one of the TV shows that I watch. Somebody makes a reference like it should be called Baskets Ball because there's Fair two enough. of them. And I was like, that's really hard to argue with, actually. Oh, my word. Interesting. Anyways, um, yeah, that that really got off track. You're still quickly. looking at the origins, no, aren't I'm, you? No, I'm oh, not okay. anymore. <laughs> um, so today, uh, for for our episode today, we are going to be diving into uh, a a very well used phrase around youth ministry that uh, everybody's scared of, uh, which is mandatory reporting. Um, yeah, I know this is this episode is going to be a party. Let me oh, tell you. Oh yeah. And so we are kind of going to be diving into, you know, mandatory reporting is something that every youth pastor absolutely needs to be aware of. Uh, but it's also going to, we'll talk about a little bit later, look 
a little bit different, uh, you know, depending on your context, especially, uh, you know, your state or county, um, or even country, uh, is, even the is going to have will look different, right? Every situation is going to be different. Yeah. And so we're not going to sit here and, and go through case by case studies, but we are going to talk about, you know, just some different, uh, guidelines, uh, when it comes to mandatory reporting, it's something that every youth pastor should be aware of, but it's also something that every youth leader, uh, yeah. should be aware of. Youth leaders are not, uh, you know, I tell our youth leaders, it is not your job to, to follow up on this entire rabbit trail. Yep. Uh, you know, your job is to pass the baton on to me. Uh, and, and then I do that, but at the same time, uh, youth leaders need to know what to look for and, uh, youth pastors need to make sure that their youth leaders are equipped so that, uh, they're ready in, in any situation where this might arise. Right. Because you, you hate to make general statements, but the, the reality is that you will likely, very likely have to handle this personally at some point throughout the tenure of your ministry. Uh, you know, similar to the fact that I haven't had a hospital visit with the student is a miracle Yet. after five years. Right. But like it's, you know, what's going to happen. And so, you know, this is one of those not fun parts of ministry, mandatory reporting outside of just the legal like jargon that goes with it. If you have to go through the mandatory reporting process it's not a good situation. It's not enjoyable to walk through. It, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of just junky parts that go along with it. And odds are you're going to have to do it at some point. And the, the purpose of this episode, as Kyle is saying, is being aware of it because, you know, at first, when you kind of look at it from a 10,000 foot view, it's like, oh yeah, like I'm a mandatory reporter. But when you are like in the thick of a situation, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty of, do I need to report this? How do I report this? Who do I talk to? What do I have to disclose? So we're kind of going to go through, you know, the why, the how, and the what behind mandatory reporting because you're, you got to know what's going down. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Derek talked about going through the why, the how, and the what, but we are going to start with who. Uh, who is a mandatory reporter? Um, it's a really, really short list. Um, it's, <laughs> um, if so they can see the show doc. Yeah, it's, uh, it's super short. Uh, it doesn't really cover anybody at all. Uh, pastors. Yeah. I feel like that should, uh, should have been obvious at this point for yep. our listeners, but you know, uh, social workers, uh, a good example, Derek's wife, Meg, uh, is a social worker, uh, works in a hospital context, but there's mandatory reporting, uh, that's involved in that law enforcement. Um, again, probably should be obvious. Yep. Uh, educators at all levels, uh, any, any teachers or, or ad- administrative people in schools, uh, for sure. Uh, direct care workers. Derek, do you want to explain that one to us? Um, it's a very, again, Kyle, I hope you picked up his sarcastic, facetious <laughs> tone, but a lot of these categories are very, very ambiguous on purpose. Uh, direct care workers, in my understanding, is uh, similar, not just like doctors, but primary direct care workers. This could be nurses. This could be, you know, any form of medical personnel. I, I don't, there's a reason they don't specifically say those because it's more of a broad category. Uh, but then the other one underneath that is a human service worker, <laughs> you know, which again is similar to social workers. But really what it boils down to is, you know, any other licensing facility can require that their employees or subordinates, if you want to call it that, um, are supposed to be mandatory reporters. And so if you're sitting there and you're going, I'm not sure if I'm a mandatory reporter, ask the question, you know, ask your employer, uh, do a quick Google search because as Kyle mentioned earlier, each state is different. The list that we pulled from here was from the Minnesota department of human services, uh, website. So that these are the mandatory reporters by law, uh, in the state of Minnesota. And again, 
these are very like, like social workers alone could be 450 different types of jobs. Oh yeah, there's a ton of different, you know, avenues within that. Educators is another one where there's like there's right. a you can you can go a lot of different directions uh with educators. But yeah, absolutely if if you have any if you don't know uh, whether or not you are a mandatory reporter, ask your employer uh, or maybe your HR department yeah. uh, if if you are. And if there's any hesitancy in their answer, no matter what they end up answering, like ask somebody else right. to just to double check and be sure yeah. uh, you, know, you can uh, call up. Uh, you could probably call up some law enforcement people and they might know. Right. Um, or there's this cool thing called the internet that, uh, can usually help you out as well. Did not know that. But, uh, yeah, definitely find out and ask in your context because it's going to be different, uh, depending on where you are. Well, it's, it's good to ask because we put this list together, but I'll tell you right now, pastors or clergy members were not specifically mentioned on this website, but because of our context, Kyle and I know that we are. And so it's really good to ask that question because these, these categories are just very ambiguous. And why is that important to know? Because here is, here is what a mandatory reporter is technically defined as through this Minnesota department of health services. So here's what a mandatory reporter is. Mandated reporters are professionals or professionals delegates identified by law who must make a report if they have a reason to believe that the abuse, neglect, or financial exploitation financial exploitation of somebody is happening. So what that means, boiling that down, if you as a mandated reporter see something that is cause that is abusive, neglectful, financial exploitation, or self-harm, which we'll talk about in a second. That one's not specifically written here. But if you are aware of those things and do not report them, if it comes out that you did not report those, you are eligible for immediate termination and legal ramifications. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, find here uh, maybe a, a range here. Here we go. Um, upon conviction, this is uh, childwelfare.gov. So um, very reputable on yes. Wikipedia. <laughs> no, it is not Wikipedia here. Um, up, upon conviction, a mandatory mandated reporter who fails to report can face jail terms ranging from 30 days to five years, fines ranging from 300 to $10,000 or both. Yeah. So obviously you got to do it. You know, like this is... It's as as we mentioned, what we're going to talk about today, going through these things, it's not enjoyable. If you are put in a spot where you need to make a mandated report, it's because something is going down that is very real and very tough and very difficult. And while it's not enjoyable, not just morally, but legally, you're obligated to report that. Yeah, there are like, like I'm reading through this pamphlet that uh, this is the uh, child welfare information gateway. Um, from the Ch- Children's Bureau, and they have footnote after footnote after footnote of basically all saying this is different in every state. Yeah, uh, you know, in in seven states, um, you know, you can have harsher penalties. Sure, uh, for this in three or in four states, including us here in Minnesota, uh, the employer can be civilly civilly liable for damages wow. of of any harm caused uh you know there are a bunch of different ones uh in California and Massachusetts y- you can see harsher penalties imposed when the failure to report results in the child's death or serious bodily injury yep uh you know there there's a whole bunch of different caveats here and I just wanted to kind of mention that like I can't even put to words how much uh you know, how, how many footnotes there are on this page that just kind of backs up what we were right. saying, that this is going to be different in every context. And this is just contexts uh, in the United States. Right. Yeah. And that that's just it is this is we have listeners outside of the U.S. And, and so, you know, it might be different in your country and that type of thing. So, you know, j- just be up on up, you know, up on top of all of that stuff. And, you know, really what it boils down to is I think there's a misconception that mandatory reporting is just for a select group of people. But as a mandated reporter, you are being like liable, I guess you could say, 
for reporting an event that pertains to anybody. Like literally anybody of any age. This can be children ages zero through 18. And I think that's where a lot of people just assume like that's what they're looking for. But, you know, there are adults outside of that range where if you hear things about um, harming themselves or uh, somebody else, you need to report that. Uh, Another big one that my wife actually handles a ton is elderly. Like you you are responsible for filing a report if you believe that, the elderly um, around you are being abused or exploited or neglected. And uh, we can get into the nuts and bolts of that in a little bit, but it's called a vulnerable adult report. Um, and so like, it's, it's crazy. You it just really, how this pertains to everybody because it really does not matter your, their age. If you see something that isn't right, you have an obligation to report that. Right. Uh, I just was researching something here real quick and actually found my way back to this exact same childwelfare.gov thing. Because <laughs> um, one of the things that I just wanted to be clear on, uh, you know, going back to who is a mandatory reporter, um, you know, before we before we move on here, as as youth pastors, as youth ministers, we are mandatory reporters. Uh, volunteers within your youth ministry are not mandatory reporters. Okay. Um, it's, it's obviously highly encouraged that they are voluntary reporters. Yep. Uh, but it is not mandatory, uh, for those volunteers, uh, to be mandatory reporters. And, and the, you know, I can see a gray line here. Uh, you know, if you're mandatory because you get paid, does that mean that if you're the youth pastor, but you don't get paid, you're not mandatory? I don't know. I'm not going to dive into all this. Uh, again, just look it up on your own context, but, uh, as a youth pastor, the, the youth leaders underneath you, uh, are not mandatory reporters, but you still need to have a, a system in place that we will get to. Well, and I think you, you touched on something is you don't have to be a mandated reporter to report something, right. you know, you don't have, there's not a list of, okay, Derek mom's been to a reporter. Therefore we can take his report. Like if you see something that you know is not good, even if you're not a quote unquote mandated reporter, you are still highly encouraged to make that report and to file up with the people that need to handle it, which we're going to talk about here in just a second. But I just want that to be a thing that's, that's heard too. Cause I think some people are like, well, I can't report it. And it's like, no, you very much can. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, but w- where this kind of, you know, trickles into a youth ministry, youth ministry context is it's not super enjoyable. And so if your youth leader doesn't want to be the one that, you know, goes down this line, they have the ability to pass on what they know to the youth pastor and the youth pastor can file up with the people that need to be. Yeah. And as a, you know, for, for the youth pastors that are listening, my encouragement would be to not put your youth leader in that situation. I would agree. Uh, have a plan in place where they, if, if they, you know, see, well, we're about to talk about some of these red flags that we have. If they see one of these red flags, they should go to you as the youth pastor, and then you can take up that baton and, and report it. Uh, if, yep. if that's necessary, and and they as the youth leader can you know be there for the student and yep. and they can uh you know kind of have that role uh you're the one that is is in a leadership position so you should be the one that is uh taking care of some of this yeah, stuff and protecting your youth leaders because we don't want to put them in a situation yeah we don't absolutely be all right uh what are some of the things that uh that we should specifically be looking out for uh you know it it can be a little bit vague when it comes to the definition of uh you know abuse neglect or financial exploitation what yep. in the world is that uh, you know, some of the red flags and, and things to look out for, one of them would be an intent to harm either, either themselves or others. Uh, you know, you hear phrases from students like, I, I just don't want to be here anymore. Uh, people would be better off without me. I want to harm myself or kill myself or kill someone else. Like all of those should be immediate red flags. Yeah. Uh, for for either you or your youth leaders. Yeah, and, and and there's a bit of discernment here because I know sometimes like, you know, while it's not inherently appropriate, you know, people are like, oh, I just want to kill myself when it's like they're talking about something going through or something difficult. Like that's that's a whole different conversation in terms of how we should approach that and we're going to table that for a second. But, you know, like a lot of these things are very subtle 
and you just have to be paying attention to them. Like I, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. You can't just write that off and say they're talking about your youth ministry. That might be life in general. So you just got to be aware of that. And so it, it it's the the whole intent of this is there's a lot of subtleties to hear. And just as a mandated reporter, as a youth leader, as a youth pastor, we are inevitably trying to keep these kids safe. And so part of that is not just tuning stuff out, but being attentive to what they're saying. And, and the very much same goes for, you know, outside of intent to harm oneself or others is abuse. And let's not just assume that we're only talking about physical abuse here. We're talking about physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, like abuse takes on so many different forms. It's not just the black eyes and the bruises on your arm anymore. That is considered abuse. It's, it's, it's a wide comprehensive range. And so here's some of the things that you should be looking for. You know, if someone's potentially being abused, there are changes in behavior or demeanor. If that person who's overly optimistic and joy-filled and, and really happy all the time comes in, it looks like someone shot their dog. Like uh, for, for no rhyme or reason, you say, hey, how's it going? Like, are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Like that, that's a problem. When, when it, and, and it doesn't have to just be that specific situation, but if you notice distinct changes in their behavior and demeanor, that's something to be aware of. Uh, there's obviously the thing I just mentioned earlier of bruises and other marks, you know, the educators get this a lot. Um, my wife was telling me she worked in the foster care system a bunch. The number of cases of foster kids skyrockets during the school year. Why? Because teachers notice bruises and other marks from birth parents back at home. So they make the report during the summer when teachers are not around the kids every day, the cases drop because they're not being paid attention to. So you know, that, that was very, very interesting. Uh, verbal altercations. If you hear something, uh, you know, whether it's a parent talking to a student, uh, you know, an adult talking to their elderly, you know, parents will yell at their kids. That doesn't, that's not immediate grounds for, you know, filing a report. But if you start to notice a pattern, you start to hear things and, and overhear specific things that you know, aren't right. That's a reason to think there might be some abuse going on there. Uh, and then the last few here are uh, isolation. You know, people who are perpetually abused will eventually seclude themselves from every other person to protect themselves. And so if you find this person is continually pulling themselves away, away from you, away from the context and just kind of shutting down, it's, it, it's, it's a reason to dig a little deeper and figure out what's going on. And then the last one is just neglect of personal care. Uh, you know, it, it, someone who is, a, this is also very, very, very common in sexual abuse. Um, if someone's being sexually abused, they will stop taking care of themselves, basic hygiene, basic, you know, things that keep them clean and, and presentable because the hope and intent is that if they're not, they're less likely to be abused or they just feel so internally dirty that they just don't have no energy to, you know, externally feel clean. And so, you know, any of these things, if you notice them, it's not a, it's not grounds, just go and make a report. But if you see these things, follow up with that person and just kind of dig a little deeper. Yeah. I think one of the biggest, uh, memories that I have, uh, along these lines were when we had our mission team down to Panama in 2019 and, we had, we, so we were, the, the whole point of this team was that we were doing stuff in schools down in Panama. And if you've never been to Panama in June, uh, it's Probably really warm. It's really warm, a uh, little, little toasty. And so we, we were in these schools every day and we're just sweating nonstop. And it, this one school in particular, like I bet 75 to 80% of the girls were in long sleeve sweat, sweatshirts. Wow. And, you know, that's, that's red flag number one right there. You know, you know that in this context, you know, long sleeves, especially a sweatshirt is going to be incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. So you have to be really determined, uh, of, and, and resolute on why you want to wear that sweatshirt. Yep. And, and if you're covering up something on your arms, that's a really good reason to keep that sweatshirt on, no matter how co- uncomfortable you are. Yep. And and they talked about a, that with us before we went into the school. Sure. Like they were kind of like, "Hey, this is something you're going to see," uh, you know. But that's just another thing. Like there, you get some of these uh, with when it comes to spotting abuse. I think that uh, you, when when you see something that just doesn't feel right, 
you know, that's, that's a, uh, that's a common thing when it comes to spotting abuse is just like, Hey, something seems off here. Even if you can't quite put a finger on it, yeah. uh, you know, follow up. And it's the same thing. You, you just, you hit a, you hit something I wanted to mention. Uh, same thing with intent to harm oneself as well. Um, you know, cutting is a big thing that, um, is very common in, in youth. And, you know, if you are trying to hide that, you know, yep. obviously there are cuts on your body, uh, if it is mid June and it's everybody else is, uh, you know, in, in, in sweats and everything, and someone else in long clothes, it doesn't inherently mean again. This is this is not no. law. This is just things to be aware of. There's probably a reason that they're trying to cover up something, and so just follow. Right. Up. It could be I'm gonna wear this baggy sweatshirt because I just feel insecure about my body. Yep. You know, it's it's yep. not an automatic indictment, but it is something to to keep in mind. Um, you know, one of the other things, and this is. Uh, you know, less, uh, Derek mentioned that age is not really a defining trait when it comes to mandatory reporting. Anybody can be a a victim here. Uh, exploitation, especially amongst the elderly is, uh, is something that mandatory reporters need to be on the lookout for. Uh, you know, you'll see, and, and like Derek mentioned, this is something that his wife, uh, has the displeasure of encountering from time to time where you see people, you know, maybe toward end of life decision-making uh, where some of these decisions are, are made for their own personal gain rather than what's best for the elderly parent uh, or, or grandparent. And, and that's where, uh, you know, eyes need to be watching to, to kind of take a note of this and say, Hey, wait a second. This is uh this isn't right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it's sad. It's insanely sad, and it's it's unfortunately very common. And so, you know, there we we touch. We, I mean, we just purely scratch the surface as to some of the things you probably see and, and will notice. And as we have mentioned in excess, every situation is different. Every context is different. And so, you know, you can probably kind of gather what you should be looking for, and you kind of know that. But you know, there there's this next part. I think this is where people get most confused. They know something's not right. They know they're supposed to do something, but how do you, how do you do it? Who do you call? What do, what do you look for? And so, you know, when it comes to now, okay, you're ready to dig into something and you're trying to figure out what to do. How do you go about this route of filing a report, making a report, yada, yada, yada. And the first step really even begins before you file the report, which would just be gathering a formal analysis. You know, if you see something that you know is not right, the first thing you got to do is ask some very blunt questions. You know, in- instead of going, hey, are you, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start with that. But then you have to get down to factual things like, hey, do you have intent to harm yourself or others? Yes or no. Are you experiencing abuse at home? Yes or no? Do you feel safe? Like you need to be able to ask those blunt questions. And I would say the more you can kind of say them off the cuff and blatant, the better. Because how they respond to those questions is going to tell you a lot. If there's hesitation, if there's an uneasiness, if there is a, um, no, you know, but when you agree, you can kind of gather the intent of the truth when you ask those blunt questions because you have to know. If you're going to go down this route, you need to have very concrete answers to give to people that are going to be going down this route because they need to know all the information they possibly can. And so ask those blunt questions. Yeah, and and it's in in a situation like this, it's going to be a tight uh, you know, line to walk. You you want to be thorough. Uh, you know, it's, it's very difficult to just settle for the yes or no answers. Uh, you know, at the same time, you're going to get some students where when they're talking about something like this, they don't want to give more than a yes or no answer. Yep. Uh, you know, you, you don't want to force them into a, like a mental crisis. Uh, but at the same time, you need to gather some information here and, and the more information you have, uh, the better, more targeted care, uh, this this student can receive, and so it's it's a tight line to walk. You you need to be thorough, but you depending on the student and the situation, you also you know don't want to make sure that you push too far. Right, absolutely, and you know I think it probably goes without saying, but it's not written anywhere. We probably should mention this. 
this is one of those situations where just be prayed up for this. You know, always be asking God just to give you discernment in situations like this. I mean, you know, you're not just stopping this conversation and say, hey, let me just pray really quick. <laughs> like, you yeah, know, but- well, I, I call that, I call this the Nehemiah prayer moment where, uh, you know, in Nehemiah, the first couple of chapters, he's like a cupbearer for the, for the king, or he yep. works for the king of this place. And he really wants to go back and, and rebuild Jerusalem, but he's not in that position. And so, uh, the, the king notices that he's kind of down and he asks Nehemiah like, Hey, what's going on? And Nehemiah recognizes that God's opening a door here. And so it, it literally just says, uh, you know, the king asked this question and then the next verse is Nehemiah prayed to God and then answered. And, and I have to imagine that that was not Nehemiah left the King's presence for 20 minutes <laughs> to go spend time in prayer and then came back and answered the King. And right. the King was like, wait, hold on. What did I ask you? Yep. Uh, you know, Nehemiah, like this was a split second prayer for yep. wisdom. Yep. And so, and, and courage. And, and that's what, you know, in these moments, you know, it's a quick, God, give me words, give me wisdom. Yep. Let's go. Yep. Absolutely. And, and, and he's going to do that. That's the just miracle and profound power of God. And so, you know, once you do that, the next thing you have to do on a very practical sense is just be straightforward. Um, you know, I think the tendency is, you know, as you get into these hard and very deep personal, you know, relationships, a phrase that often comes out of a person's mouth is I'm a safe spot. You can tell me anything. I won't tell anybody. That's not 100% true. Uh, you know, you have a moral and legal obligation. So what I like to say is, you know, if someone's like, Hey, can I talk to you about something very personal? I always say 100%, but before you start, I just want you to know what we are going to talk about stays between us but at the same time, I'm also a mandated reporter. So anything that I deem that I have to report, I don't have a choice. I have to say that, you know, and, and what that does is one, it just protects you because ultimately you're trying to make sure this person can trust you. If they're coming to you, they probably already have that trust built up. But, you know, two, it just, it very, it makes very clear, like this is a very real thing, you know? And so, uh, you know, they might not be super happy when you say, you know, hey, I'm a mandated reporter. There's a chance that as soon as you say that, they shut down and don't talk about the thing they were planning to talk to. And that's not super fun. But like they need to know because what's good, what's the worst possible situation is when you say, hey, I won't tell anybody. And they divulge something that's very real and very personal. And now your hands are tied. Yeah. Now, now you either have to break their trust or the law. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> lose, lose. Right. And so be straightforward. Let them know. Again, you don't have to say, hey, hey, hey don't tell me anything, but yeah. like, just let them know. And and just for the record, if you do find yourself in that situation, break their trust. Yep. <laughs> if you have to decide between breaking their trust and breaking the law, break their trust. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, th- I think that, yeah, whether it's yeah, at some point in that conversation, if you sense that, hey, this might be the direction this is headed, it's absolutely not a bad idea to give them that heads up uh, that uh, that they are that that you're they're talking to a mandated reporter and that might be where this is headed. Uh, be straightforward. And then the other thing uh, that I think is really important uh, of uh, kind of a next step of what to do is uh, notify the appropriate people. You got to know who to call in what situation. And this is another thing where it is going to be a little bit different yep. uh, depending on the situation. Uh, this one, I, I think, is less, uh, it's less like state specific or, or area specific yeah. and more situation specific. Agreed. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the people that should probably be on your call list, uh, in a lot of these situations would be law enforcement. Yep. Uh, you know, you're going to, uh, depending on what's going on, right. If there's, if there's abuse in the home, uh, between parent and student, uh, CPS should probably get a call. Uh, you know, if there is like imminent danger, to yep. this student, then you know, law enforcement should probably be involved. Even the time of day on this is 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 important to note. You know, if if this if you get wind of this at two o'clock in the afternoon, odds are you can call your local sheriff. You can call your local city police officers. If it's nine o'clock at night, you're gonna have to call nine one one. And you know, it we we've done both in our ministry. We've called you know our city's 
department at noon. And yeah. there's been times we try to call them at night and they're like, you know, our office is, you know, no right. longer, there's nobody here. So you yeah. have to call, you know, 911. And again, this is why it's important to be thorough because if you call law, if specifically if you call 911 and say, um, you know, here's what I kind of heard. And, you know, and they ask you pointed questions. If you don't know the answer to them, they're going to disregard you and say, I'm sorry, like, yeah. leave us alone. Yep. And so it's just important to be thorough because each of these things is, is very, very important. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, parents, uh, that's another one that I want to touch on here. Uh, again, depending on what's going on, uh, if, if there's abuse between the parent and the kid, don't call the parent, uh, you know, like <laughs> that use some common sense here. Yep. Uh, you know, if, if a student tells you, uh, that they are, uh, having suicidal thoughts, uh, that's, you know, the parent's probably going to be my first call, yep. uh, in that situation. Uh, you know, what, it depends on what's going on. Like that's another one too, uh, you know, to use the, uh, you know, I'm having suicidal thoughts angle for a second. When, when we talked about, uh, being thorough and, and getting some details out of the kid, uh, if, if I have a student that it tells me like, yeah, I've, I've been having suicidal thoughts. One of the super uncomfortable questions that I ask is, uh, basically, do you have a plan? Yep. Uh, you know, yep. do have you thought about how you would do it? Yep. Because if that answer is, oh, you know, my parents have this uh, cabinet of medicine, and I, you know, I was going to take a whole bunch of pills. Yep. Uh, you know, I know where I know the password to my dad's gun safe. Yep. Uh, you know, those things. That's really really, really valuable information yep. to share with the parents so that they can change the gun safe code so that they can change where some things are stored. Uh, maybe put the pills in the gun safe, <laughs> you know, so that they're behind the lock. But uh, being able to follow up with the parents and partner with them on something like that uh, is really, really important for the long-term care of that student. It also lets you know where they're at. It also lets you know that this is no longer just I'm thinking about it. This is something that's very, very imminent. And so this is yeah. something where you need to get on top of this right now. Not not that you don't if someone's having suicidal thoughts, but they don't have a plan. But if someone has a plan, you need to act now. You need to get them to the hospital likely very soon. You know, And, and this would be a question that we might have to dialogue here for a second because this, this is where I don't know. Again, some of these things you just don't know. And so you right. kind of have to yeah. figure out, you know, some things, but you know, student says, Hey, I'm having suicidal thoughts, mandated reporter. You call mom and dad, let them know. And you say, Hey, I'm a mandated reporter. I need to follow up with this. Well, we don't want you to do that. You know, now, now you have the, Oh, you're saying like parents ask you not to make any more calls. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And this, this is where I don't know, you know, uh, do we need to follow up? Uh, you know, they're, 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 every situation is different. Maybe they don't want to follow up because there's something happening at home. Maybe there's not, I don't know. But, you know, this is one of those things where the Nehemiah prayer is helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, also this might be, you know, we had to have a situation a while back where we had to go walk through a similar situation like this. And, you know, I, before I did anything, I called somebody who has been through this before me, sure. you know, who has some yep. really good insight, who is well-versed in this, who had to make similar calls before. And I said, here's the situation. Here's what I know. What should I do? And there is no shame in that. You know, I would encourage you to do that. If you're not sure what to do, find somebody ahead of you. If it's not, you know, if it's not a agency or a Google, find somebody who does. Yeah. And that's the, la you know, the real quick, the last, uh, you know, person on that we had on our list here that you should probably call or, or, or you can call is your superior. Yeah. Uh, you know, for a youth ministry context, uh, keeping your senior pastor in the loop is a good idea. But the reason I want to bring it up now is because that could also be, you know, somebody that can give you some advice. Yeah. Uh, if your senior pastor has walked through something like this before, they might be able to, uh, you know, give some wisdom or, yep. or a to-do list based on their experience. Yep. Absolutely. And you know, it's ultimately, we don't want you to feel like you're alone. You know, this is not a fun situation. That's where we're going to yep. go next is, you know, usually what happens 
is there's usually some backlash and immediate negative emotions with this because here's the deal. Let's go. Let's let's walk down the abuse train for a second. If it's you a terrible train, yeah, it's no doubt. If you have a student in your youth ministry, in your school, whatever it is, and they're being abused, even if mom and dad are the ones abusing them, even if you have to call the cops on their abusers in this case, it's still not fun for the kid. They love their parents, even if they're being abused. My my wife, Meg, saw this all of the time. She couldn't give me details because of HIPAA and some confidentiality things, but you know what? what she was told repeatedly is... Even if mom and dad are horrendous human beings to their kids, they are still their parents. And so they will willingly go back and defend them even if they are the ones that are abusing these students. And so just understand that when you go down this route of mandated reporter, you likely are going to have students that are going to like write you off, might cuss you out. You might never see them again. You might have parents who come after you and say, stay out of my business. There's all these negative different backlash moments that might come after you. And you have to understand that it's still, and this is why it's the not fun part of it, because you, it doesn't matter. You still have to go through with this. You still have to go through with it. And why do you have to do it? Because at the end of the day, I have to imagine you're doing what's best for them. Right. Like you're, you're not, you're not, you're not filing a report because you have a grudge against mom and dad. No, like you are, you are filing a report because you truly want what's best for mom and dad, for student, for elderly grandpa down the road. You are trying to do what's best for them to make sure they're safe and they get the appropriate help and care that they need. And so what I've found is usually when the dust settles, People see that and they come back and say, thank you for doing that. I know I didn't understand in the moment, but thank you for doing that. Just know that's part of the gig and just know like it's not going to be fun in the moment, but you still got to go through with it. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that we kind of already touched on, uh, but is again, a good reminder, uh, don't trick them. Uh, you, you want to try to go through this whole situation without lying to anybody. Uh, if, if you tell them your secret is safe with me, uh, that gives them the illusion, rightfully so, that you're not going to tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And if you're a mandatory reporter, you can't make that promise. And so uh, just don't say something like that in the first place. Uh, and Derek and I kind of talked about some different ways that that you can uh, try to uh, let them know uh, if this is where this conversation is headed, then this is something that I need to do. Uh, and then also just you know, don't let the gravity of the situation... Uh, dictate whether you file or not. Uh, you know, depending on what the situation is and maybe who's involved, uh, there can be a lot of repercussions uh, stemming from something like this. And it can be scary. It can be hard. Don't let the potentials of the situation deter you from doing something that you're supposed to be doing. Yep. Yeah, and it, it's a little helpful when you know that like it's legally, <laughs> legally you have right. to do this, um, you know. But it is you are spot on. You know, odds are you are putting you're driving a wedge in between families sometimes, in between parents, in between kid and parents. Like it, it is a scary thing, especially when it's somebody that you know personally, somebody that you know well. To have to go down this route really, really stinks and it's not great. And, you know, but it can't, as, as Kyle said, it can't deter you from doing what you need to do. And so, you know, as we kind of wrap this up there, there really is a golden rule when it comes to mandated reporting. And you you could say this is the man, you know, the golden rule of youth ministry in general, but if something doesn't seem right, say something, you know, like there, there's a reason um, you know, God gives this gift of discernment. You know, there's a reason we have a conscience. There's a reason if something doesn't feel right, there's a good chance something's not right. And that's on purpose. And so, you know, I would rather, this is something I say to my leaders and something that um, I've said to them in a while, but something that I say to anybody that I work with is, um, you know, I would rather be wrong and report than be wrong and not report. And what I mean by that yeah. is I'd rather be wrong 
and files, and you know, do a welfare check. Uh, you know, get people involved and find out. Nope, everything ship shape. I'd rather be wrong that way than to be wrong and not say anything and not do anything. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a very serious situation that could have been avoided. Yeah, I'd rather uh, be wrong the first way. Yeah, but it's always better safe than sorry. And uh, I tell our youth leaders the same thing. Uh, you know, they are not the mandatory reporters. And so if, if they have a question on something, come and talk to me. Right. And, you know, it might be that, Hey, this is just a situation that we are going to monitor. Yep. Uh, we do not have to report this. Uh, but this is definitely something that we should be keeping a close eye on. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. This was a really fun episode. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we're always doofies. Well, every every send, seven to ten episodes, we have a really heavy one. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, if uh, if you guys have any questions on this, I'd encourage you. Like we've said many times, uh, you know, Google, uh, reach out to uh, some people that work in some of these fields. Uh, reach out to somebody in law enforcement. Reach out to uh, somebody at CPS in your area where you can just ask them some of these questions. Yeah. I'm sure they would be more than happy to yep. help you and and teach you. So Because for them, they want to equip and empower people to help them do their job. Right. Uh, that's that's going to be a, a win for them as well. And so uh, be safe out there and <laughs> uh, make good choices and don't lie to students, but don't break the law first. Like that's, that's more important. We have mastered youth ministry. Absolutely. With yeah. Those, with those rules. Yep. Um, that, that does it for today's episode. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us today. Next week is our final episode of season one. Wow. And so, uh, if, uh, we would just be absolutely honored, uh, if you tuned in next week, episode 42, uh, we're really excited for it, but, uh, that does it for today's episode. And so I think that I am going to go, uh, bubble wrap every single one of my students. Goodbye. Goodbye.